0: Hello, and welcome to the Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH Reading Radio. I'm the owner of Tubby and Coo's Mid-City Bookshop and your host, Candace Huber. This week, I'm talking to Cami Garcia, number one New York Times, USA Today, and international best-selling co-author of the Beautiful Creatures and Dangerous Creatures novels, and author of the new DC Inc. graphic novel, Teen Titans Raven, illustrated by Gabriel Piccolo, And Elise Arden, local author of the Cascade Girls series and the just-announced DC Inc. graphic novel Zatanna, the Jewel of Gravesend, illustrated by Jacqueline DeLeon. Cammie was a teacher for 17 years before co-authoring her first novel on a dare from seven of her students. If she isn't busy watching Supernatural, Cammie can teach you how to escape from a pair of handcuffs or bake a Coca-Cola cake. She lives in Maryland with her family and their dogs Spike and Oz, named after characters from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I greatly appreciate. Elise Arden was raised by the street performers, tea leaf readers, and glittering drag queens of the New Orleans French Quarter. She cut her teeth on the streets of New York and has worked all around the world since. She either talks too much or not at all. She obsessively documents things. Her hair ranges from eggplant to candy-colored. And her debut novel, The Casket Girls, garnered over one million reads online before it was acquired by Skyscape. Today, we're discussing Cammie's first graphic novel, Teen Titans Raven, launching July 2nd. Raven follows 17-year-old Rachel Roth as she moves to New Orleans to live with her foster mother's family after a tragic accident. Raven's past and present collide when strange things happen during her final year of high school. As a longtime NOLA lover, Cammie pulled a lot of inspiration from the city while writing Raven, and NOLA native Elise Arden helped Cammie develop research for the book. Welcome, Cammie, and Elise, thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Thank you. So, you've both written YA novels for a long time now. So, Cammie, can you tell us how the process of writing a graphic novel was different than writing a regular novel?
1: Well, there's definitely a lot less words. Um, <laughs> writing a graphic novel is a lot more like writing a script where basically you are it's almost all dialogue, and then what you're doing is for each panel, you're kind of just describing for your artist what's in the panel. So it's kind of more like a guide for your artist, and then the artist translates that obviously and uses the dialogue, and then sometimes you have to actually tweak it after, because once you see what, you, what they've done, sometimes, you know, you realize that um, kind of the picture speaks for themselves, hopefully.
0: Right, And um, and so how was that collaboration of working with the artist uh, i would assume that it's pretty different i know that you've collaborated with author other authors in the past so how is it different collaborating with an artist versus another author
1: um, you know i mean when margie and i work together my writing partner for beautiful creatures um, like it's i mean we have a lot of fun and it's not difficult to collaborate but it's easier with an artist because you don't have to negotiate as much plot. Like with Gabriel, what the most important thing is, is that he understands the characters really well and what their motivations are and how they behave so that he can translate, you know, my scenes into their facial expressions and things like that. So the most important thing is just our relationship and talking about the characters a lot and asking questions. Um, we, he's, um, he's much younger than me. So he's, he's like, you know, I see him as like my very talented son and um, he is awesome. And it's really fun to collaborate because he's so excited about the characters in the project. So, and then as we go along, it's interesting because, you know, as a, as an author, you start to kind of know your characters so well that you know what they'll say and how they'll behave. And he ends up being the same way. He doesn't always know what they're going to say, but, like, he knows how their expressions or how they're going to look if somebody else says something. So as we went on, it just seemed like it became more it became easier and easier for him to do the art.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting to me because I would think that with a something like a graphic novel that the artist would need to know the characters just as well. As the author, so that they can get those emotions and stuff right, and definitely, and in this book, he really did. The artwork in this book was really phenomenal. I I thought it was great, and he did a really good job with the emotions of of the characters. I think too.
1: Yeah, I agree. He, um, I think you know he's he want you know both of us wanted them to be very relatable, so I think that um, he was very focused on. You know just them being real real teens and you know seeming realistic
0: right so what was it like to write about a character that already existed in the world like how much leeway did you have to make the character your own and how different was it than creating your own characters from the ground up
1: we had a lot of leeway um, I had worked on um, a teen X files project so I already kind of had um, a background in playing, you know, playing in someone else's sandbox. But I'm a fan of Teen Titans and Raven, so one of the things I feel like as a fan is I I don't mind when people do something new, but I don't want the character that I love to be unrecognizable. And I really wanted. I think that Marv Wolfman, who's the co-creator of uh, Raven, did such a good job in you know creating this kind of. Um, you know, very naturally teen character. She's mysterious and kind of has, like, these moments of self-doubt and, you know, questioning herself and her identity. So I really wanted to keep as much of her as possible intact, but just make it make her seem, make it more of a teen story than a superhero story. So kind of tone down a little bit of the more fantastical elements so that they felt more grounded and... um That's one of the reasons why I picked New Orleans because, um, you know, and Elise is from New Orleans, so she was my my kind of reader and help with that. But um, because New Orleans functioned as kind of a way to ground that magical realism because New Orleans is a very, like, magical-feeling place. You know, it has their superstition and history. There's lots of mystery and secrets and kind of, like, old stories. So I felt like if I put her there... I could get away with bringing in some of those, like, magical elements about her her kind of core character without making it feel, like, so unrealistic.
0: Yeah, and I thought that, too. I thought New Orleans was a really good setting, and that was going to be one of my questions, was why did you pick New Orleans? Because I thought it was... Pretty much perfect for the story that you told. Um, And so Elise, I know, helped with the research and stuff like that. So tell us a bit about that research project. Like, did you visit New Orleans? And what was Elise's role in that part of it?
1: Well, I first visited New Orleans um, I'm 47, so a long time ago, when I was applying to colleges with my dad. I, I went and I fell in love with the city. And then I basically took any excuse I could to get back. And when I was writing Beautiful Creatures with my writing partner, um, in the second book, there's a um, like a sequence in a couple chapters in New Orleans and um you know we i we we went you know i went on a research trip you know it's like any reason i can go there right <laughs> and, and actually the beautiful creatures movie was filmed outside of new orleans so i've spent a lot of time there and then Elise and i first met there through another mutual writer friend and um and you know there was i think it was it actually like a writers conference or something that was being that was in new orleans so i and now i go visit her and i have writers retreat and you know we we went to a lot of the places in the book um i had been to some of them but there's some like the bottom of the cup tea room where i learned more about how um you know tarot spreads work and you know how someone reads the cards so then once we got um you know once we started hanging out i went to kind of more places because she wanted to kind of show me the locals' point of view on the on the area so that I could, you know, make it feel more authentic. And then she was, of course, like my reader to make sure that I pulled that
0: off. Right, and I thought the— Yeah, one
2: of the interesting things about this scenario is that— and this isn't a spoiler, it happens, like, in the first three pages— yeah. Raven moves to New Orleans. So, you know, she's not a local yet. She's not born and raised, so— Mostly through the POV of someone just arriving in New Orleans, you know, which is cool. But of course, there's a lot of great local characters in it, you know, that would have some more local POV.
0: Right, and I think that the artwork too did a did a really good job. So, how totally. descriptive did you have to be for Gabriel in order well, to get I that been piece? There, right?
1: and I, had, I, mean, for like the um, the cemeteries and stuff, you know, uh-huh. I mean, I have hundreds and hundreds of photos because when when we were Margie and I were doing the book obviously when I went I just took so many photos like for my own reference so I sent him a lot of those photos but then he ended up like randomly not even meaning to having to go to New Orleans, but he, some, he had some, um, some technical problems with um, some of his equipment he uses. Mm-hmm. And in order to get it fast, he flew to New Orleans because they were going to replace it. And so he ended up getting the first, like, like the, the tour from Elise. So he went all, I wasn't even there, but he went all around New Orleans with Elise.
0: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that it yeah, just... and it's
2: really funny taking someone to the places at, like after they've already drawn them or in the middle of it to be like, look what an amazing job you did. <laughs> <laughs> it looks exactly like this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's just serendipity, it sounds like, that he yeah. just ended up here. <laughs> so no spoilers for the book, but there is a little bit of voodoo in here. So what kind of research did you do for that piece to be able to portray that voodoo accurately?
1: I had done a lot for beautiful creatures, and um, we had a Haitian um, Creole consultant who was a practitioner, Um, but I was very light-handed with it Mm -hmm. still, because um, obviously it's a, a legitimate religion, and since I don't practice that religion, I wanted to kind of just touch on it and be very careful so that, um, you know, I wasn't doing something in depth and misrepresenting it. And, um, obviously I had sensitivity readers. Um, but what I really wanted to focus on, um, that's in not just Voodoo, but, um, you know, a lot of other religions is that sense of like, you know, um, connecting with your ancestors. My family's Southern, um, from North Carolina, which is very different, but, um, there's still a very, like, strong sense of, like, visiting the cemetery, talking, you know, being able to, believing, you know, that you can talk to, you know, my great-grandmother lived in the house with me when I was growing up, and, you know, knowing I can talk to her or feeling like she's kind of looking out for me. So... You know, having, um, not, I don't necessarily have an altar, but, you know, I have like photos and like her handkerchiefs and things like that. And all of that stuff is that sense of um, being able to like um, communicate or call out to your ancestors when you're in need of help or guidance. And I feel like um, that's a, in, in the South, there is a lot of belief many people will do believe in spirits and the ability to communicate or at least be heard by your ancestors even if you don't hear them back um so and i feel like that's a you know that's a kind of a powerful um relationship because i really wanted this to i wanted this sense of um not just history but of like you know family bonds because even though raven um You know, she's about to be adopted. This isn't a spoiler. It happens right at the beginning, and it's on the back of the book. But she's about to be adopted by her foster mother, um, who she's been with since she was a baby. And so that's her mom. And she is about to um, get adopted, and she loses her mom. And so her um, foster mom's sister takes her in with her daughter. And even though they haven't seen her in years, you know, they consider Raven, you know, their, you know, part of the family so it's just kind of like moving in with a relative that you don't know so even though you know Raven knows this is her foster mom's sister and everything her aunt like she still hasn't like she I think she saw her as a little little child so it's like she doesn't really remember this person so it's still that weird feeling of like oh they're you know this is my family but I don't know these people at all so I wanted that family bond. I think
2: one of the nice things or the nice symmetry about the way you did the ancestral magic is that again this happens in the first page um, you know raven has lost some of her memories and also her adopted mom so the whole book is her journey of self-discovery you know not just in the kind of spiritual sense, but, you know, who she was in the past. So I think it was really nice, like as part of this journey of discovery and her feeling like she doesn't come from anyone because she doesn't have, you know, she doesn't remember her biological family and she's, you know, trying to find out who she is, that her found family, soon to be adopted family, um, uses and teaches her ancestral magic. Um, So she ends up having this, like, much bigger support system than she could have ever dreamed in the beginning of the book.
0: Yeah, she definitely definitely does. And so, and you mentioned this earlier, Cammie, but I've seen just in general in comics, especially comics for teens, this trend towards making it more about the teen story than about, the superhero, and, and you said that, too, with Raven, that you wanted to make this really a, a teen story and, and with sort of superhero stuff in the background, which I think a lot of things are doing these days. Why do you think that is? Or, you know, why do you think that that's important to portray these superheroes as, like, regular teenagers?
1: Well, Michelle Wells, who's my editor, but also the um, the head of, of all of these books at DC Ink and Zoom Lines, she that was kind of the mandate like she said to me going in like you know we really you know we love what you do in novels so like we really want you to bring that here and we want you to you know instead of doing a superhero about a superhero story about a teen we want a teen story about a teen who just happens to have powers and i think that's all about relatability and also um you know kind of the trend in the messaging in so many superhero movies, TV shows, and um, books now and comics is the idea of, um, you know, like anyone can be a hero. Like we're all, you know, we're all heroes if we step up. And because I think that a lot, you know, one of the things that's interesting about a lot of superheroes is that you know, they they are outsiders. You know, they feel they either have, they're either born with something different, they're an alien or something like Supergirl or Superman, or they have this thing that sets them apart they have to keep a secret about. And so they they innately have the this kind of um, otherness that I think, like most of us, a lot of us experience as teens, that feeling of not really you know, like not wanting to be different or not seeing your differences as something special or, you know, cool, seeing it as like, oh, this is like a awful thing I have to hide because people won't like me, or the sense that you don't even, you know, you don't feel like you fit in and you want to find a group or a place to fit in. So I think that naturally um, kind of focusing on that teen part of it and then, you know, using the powers or the um, abilities as, as kind of the thing that makes the superhero different is really a, like a natural progression. And it makes it very easy for a teen to relate.
0: Absolutely. And I just wanted to briefly mention, too, that just recently, like a day or two ago, it was announced that Elise is, is going to write a Zatanna comic for DC Inc and I think that's really cool so I just have um, a question about both Raven and Zatanna and why do y'all think that these characters specifically are good characters for young adult graphic novels I think that you know there are so many superhero characters in the world so why do these two characters you think have stories that that teens could relate to? Elise why don't you
1: go first? Sure. So, your new and exciting announcement. Um, new yeah. and exciting, yeah. <laughs> it, it I know I we can't talk about it a lot, but yeah. Um.
2: Yes, yeah, so the book was just announced this weekend, and the title is Zatanna, the Jewel of Gravesend. And so I can't say anything specifically, but I think one of the reasons that I got so excited about writing Zatanna, besides um, her cool magic, Um, and her place in the DCU and kind of the fantastical part of it is that she has a really strong family story in canon. And in particular, it's a strong father-daughter story. And I love writing father-daughter stories. And um, so there's just a lot of family teams in this Book and some people might find them traditional. Some people might find them very untraditional. And I think we need more representation of what family means in in publishing, but you know, especially in young adult publishing. Um, and this was a chance for me really to talk about you know or write about different family structures um, and kind of the positivity around what some people might consider non-traditional family structures.
1: Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, Raven Raven is, is, again, you know, she, even though obviously, I mean, I didn't have, like, tons of magical powers as a teen, um, I really, I mean, like, you know, it's questionable, but I really relate to her personally because, um, you know, she it's, she doesn't remember who she is. But she – and so she's – she has this kind of extra layer of, like, what if I wasn't a good person or what if I wasn't nice? What if I was a mean girl? Um, What if I, you know, would rather not know who I was? What if if I'm better off not knowing what kind of person I was? And I kind of did that because I wanted her to have this unique uh, um, opportunity to redefine herself. And I think I really, I really related to that because when I was a teen, it was just you know, it's like I wanted to be different and I wanted to be myself, but I also wanted to have friends. You know, I didn't want to be like a social pariah. So it's that strange, um, it's that strange balance of like wanting to be my own person, but also wanting to fit in. And I think that. Um, for me, that's something that, like, I always have to struggle with because, you know, I'm a writer. I'm not in New York or L.A. or, you know, a place where there's a ton of other writers, like, right nearby. I'm often the only, you know, writer mom or the only mom writing comic books. So, you know, I I do, I I just know what it feels like to, you know, to want to be myself and still fit in. And also, you know, that constant, like, search for, like, you know, am I, am you know, like, am I really doing the thing I want? I mean, that was one of the things about writing, um, comics was, you know, writing novels is very lonely and kind of isolated. And I am, you know, a lot of people find that very therapeutic. I actually like collaboration more. And so I was kind of, you know, bummed out, like not loving the drafting part and all these months and months by myself. And so... Then I got this opportunity to do something where I'm still getting to write and craft character and do all the things I love, but now I get to talk to Lisa about you know, uh, you know, tarot card reading or New Orleans. I get to talk to my editor, my artist about what the character looks like. So it's like even though as I'm writing, I get all this interaction with other people about the project, and for me, that really kind of you know made writing fun again.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's fun. And you must be pretty cool to be the mom that writes comic books. I'm just saying That's
1: (laughs) Thank you. Well, I'm glad. I'm going to quote that whenever I'm feeling less cool and i to be like, listen. Listen. I'm a cool mom writing comic books.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) So just more of a general question, and really both of you can answer this because you both write YA. What about writing YA specifically appeals to you?
1: How about you, Elise? What is what appeals to you? Because then I can um, then yeah. I can steal part of your answer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think the self-discovery part. Not that self-discovery is exclusive to being a teenager. I mean, God only knows. I'm still going through massive bouts of self-discovery. <laughs> um, I think the newness to things, and I think that the open-mindedness. You know, I think when you are young and have less experience with the world, good, bad, or ugly, you know, you tend to, um, have more of an open mind to, to different scenarios. And, um, you know, I find it very fun writing scenarios for people to experience for the first time. Um. So that's something that I love, which is a little bit different um, than writing adults. Because even if you are writing a scenario that that specific adult character hasn't necessarily experienced before, they probably have, like, in general enough life experience to, like, catch the ball quickly. Uh-huh. Um, so that self discovery part of it, you know, I think is definitely a key to, like,
1: needing to love that, to love writing YA. Yeah, I totally agree. For me, also, um, I was a teacher for 17 years, and I wrote my first novel. I wrote Beautiful Creatures um, with my best friend, Margaret Stoll, and we wrote it for seven teens in my fantasy book club, So, and it was being read as we wrote it by teenagers and my former students. So that book was never written to be published. Um, It was, you know, it's like writing a love letter. You know, we were writing a story catering to a specific kind of reader, um, you know, who was right in front of us. And two of of the girls were Margie's daughters. So, you know, she knew them really, really well. And so I think for me, like, writing for teens was really natural because I spend so much, I spent so much time with kids. And they're my favorite people. You know, young kids, teenagers, children in general. But and and I think I again, like Elise said, like I I remember that time really vividly, and I like um, writing about those moments of um, figuring out how to define yourself and who you want to be in the face of all kinds of different situations because I do believe that um, we don't most of us don't stop doing that you know most of us have like even once we figure out who we are it's like you get out of college suddenly you're in a job situation you have to fit in or you move to a community Mm -hmm. and you have to fit in with the other people so it's that constant push and pull between like, like am I being my authentic self and is that okay and how do I be especially at this time you know in the world like it's like how do I be my authentic self Um, When it's not okay, you know, when people are saying we aren't going to accept that or, you know, people are trying to legislate against it, you know, like how do you still stay strong? Because not everybody lives somewhere where they have, like, a big community and support system. So I I feel Mm – go
2: ahead. One of the interesting things, too, I think, about the authentic self is, that it is dynamic, you know, and I think that's something that I explore in Zatanna a lot, even though I'm not going to talk about it at (laughs) all, you know, but just even in my life, you know, like my authentic self changes when I am in New Orleans at the South versus when I'm in New York like I am right now versus when I'm at a writer's conference versus when I'm at, you know, a corporate thing. And each one of those changes. Representations of my authentic self, I still feel like is being true to myself. So I, you know, this kind of idea that there's only like one defined version of your authentic self, and if you ever act any differently, um, you're not being true to that. You know, is something that I think is explored in a lot of these YA graphic novels, and I think it's important because adults aren't the only people who have to wear multiple hats. You know, when you're a teenager, you're going to church, you're maybe going to like prep and then coming home to your neighborhood where everyone in your neighborhood doesn't look like or act like everyone at your school, um, you know, you're having to go to your parents' place of work, you know, wear all of these different hats as well and navigating, you know, your authentic self and being true to that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I
1: agree. I think that YA does a, a, a really great job of showing. Um, and also the differences, you know, Angie Thomas is the hate you give you know, the new, you know, Into the Spider-Verse movie, you know, we see now a lot of portrayals in film and in books about teens going to schools in different places, you know, and and, and then where they're from, and how do you navigate that, and showing us the difference between, you know, going going into those different environments and being your authentic self versus going into those environments and not feeling like you can be your authentic self, and how do you figure out how to do that?
0: Right. Absolutely. So tell us what's next for you, Cami. What are you currently working on? What Do you have any events coming up? I know that you have one, at least, here in New Orleans. Um, so I,
1: right now, Gabriel and I are um, deep in the heart of Beast Boy. That is the next book in the series. It's Beast Boy's kind of, you know, singular origin. And it's really fun. We're working on that. Um, I'm also doing an adult project for DC. It's called Joker Harley Criminal Sanity, and it's kind of a procedural um, exploration of, you know, the Joker from like a profiler point of view. Um, But I know, but I'm going on. The most exciting thing is that I'm going um, Raven releases in um, comic book stores. Uh, tomorrow and in bookstores everywhere on July 2nd and Gabriel is arriving today he's going to be at my we're picking up at the airport and he and I are doing a ton of events we're doing like third eye comics on Saturday and big planet comics in the you know the Maryland DC area where I live on Sunday and then we go to New York on um, I can't remember the date we go to New York I think we go to New York on Thursday, it's so all our first
2: easily accessible online.
1: <laughs> yeah, they yeah, we'll so sure, easily yeah. accessible on <laughs> yeah. Got it. So we're going on tour. We're going to be in New Orleans for two days. We're going to be in Chicago, LA, and New York, and then we finish off at San Diego Comic Con. So I'm just really excited. There's been so much positivity online about the book and. I'm really excited to see readers in person, and I'm really excited to see, like, you know, this is Gabriel's first book, so it's going to be really fun.
0: That's exciting.
1: To really watch him see, you know, how much people love this book in person. Because he has a lot of interaction with readers online, but it's not the same. Right. When they show up at an event and they're holding their book, it's so different than talking to them online.
0: Absolutely, and so if people want to see all of your events, they can go to CamiGarcia.com and yeah, check and out my everywhere. Yeah, and social media,
1: like on Instagram, anywhere I am, it's usually just um, at in my name. I'm going to be posting all over the place, and um, Gabriel is too. So people will be able to find out where we are, and then when we're in New Orleans, we're going to go do some fun adventures and eat some of the things in the book. So people can follow us online and you know come along on the trip.
0: Awesome. That sounds great. Well, thank you both for being here today and talking to me. It was an awesome conversation, and I had a lot of fun. So thank you all. Thank
1: you so much for having us.
0: That was Cami Garcia, author of Teen Titans Raven, illustrated by Gabriel Piccolo, releasing July 2nd, and Elise Arden, author of The Casket Girl Series and Zatanna, The Jewel of Gravesend, illustrated by Jacqueline DeLeon. You can catch them on July 11th at Cressy City Comics from 12 to 2 and at Garden District Bookshop also on July 11th from 6 to 8. You've been listening to The Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's programs, including my podcast, Novel Ideas, can be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash wrbhreadingradio, as well as on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Candace Huber. Until next time.